Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert with my co-host, Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. He's out at the studio as we speak. And in this one, we're going to preview the Texans-Jets. Look at the newest Texans star and break down the two new Astros. And hey, Sean, look like the AFC South might have been back in play when Trevor Lawrence went down. But it, I guess his kid's made out of elastic or something. <laughs> well, hey. It looked, it looked like it could be worse when you first saw it. Like if you were thinking, as ah, is going to be an ankle, an ankle and a knee, high ankle sprain. I still think it's going to be something to keep an eye on, whether he plays or not, you know, going down the road. Because I, I just thought about like C.J. Stroud. You know, that dude's been hobbled the last couple of weeks, taking some hits, got up kind of gimpy, whether it's a knee or a shin, an ankle, whatever. Like none of these guys are playing at 100% right now. If that's going to affect him to any degree, I mean, it's still, you know, from an injury and football standpoint, good news for the Texans. Christian Kirk, who hurt the Texans a couple of weeks ago himself, you know, uh, got banged up in the game too. So it's, you know, getting a little bit more opened up in terms of the window of opportunity the Texans may have with three divisional games remaining on their schedule. So I think just one for the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. So it's definitely going to be an interesting watch the next five weeks between uh, what those two teams do with their remaining schedules. Yeah, I want to get into the Jets game a little bit more in a second, but quick show reminder, we've got a Jets insider scheduled Friday. So be on the lookout for that show and your notifications. Rockets fans need to make sure you check out yesterday's show with Frank from Rockets Chop Shop. I granted him three wishes to make the team better. So you want to see what he had to say. And let's go back to the Texans, Sean. Derek Stingley, defensive player of the week. But I'm still in that Will Fuller phase of my Stingley relationship, I guess. Can I get excited about this or do I need to wait through a few more injury reports? I mean, get excited about it. Enjoy it while the guy's healthy, right? <laughs> this is yeah. uh, th- this is uh, some really dominant type football that he's playing in the secondary right now and you know his best game of his you know short career you know we just got done watching this past weekend and it was the first time that this penciled in starting group within the secondary had been on the football field for the first time so I think that has a lot to do with his success I think just Jimmy Ward being in that defensive group has a lot to do with his success the defensive scheme the possibilities have got to be endless at this point in time in terms of what D'Amico Ryans is thinking about, Matt Burke, Corey Unlin, one of their DB coaches, in terms of what they can do, how they can disguise different looks going down the road. Just so long as this group is able to stay healthy, sky's the limit, you know, in this scheme for Derek Stingley. I go back and look at that second interception that he'd had uh, in that ball game, the one where the guy made the double move, got Stingley to bite down on it, and It was a complete bait job by Derek Stingley, who played it perfectly in the disguise on that particular play call. Couldn't tell if it was zone. You couldn't tell if it was man. Kind of didn't matter for what Stingley was going to be asked to do anyway. If it was zone, it looked like he had deep third. If it was man, he was going to take whoever came over the top in his zone. Like, I'd never seen a a pick like that before. He just looked like a hawk just swooping in and just plucking that ball out of the air just perfectly timed people talk about his size athleticism ball skills you saw all three of those come into play on that particular play I think you're going to see this you know a lot more so long as you know opposing offenses continue to throw this guy the football 
one of my favorite things about what I've seen from the Texans so far is, of course, C.J. Stroud's leadership. And you talk about, you know, what he's seen in Stingley, and he's had so many good things to say about Stingley this week. But, you know, Stroud, it epitomized what kind of leader he is. Our old friend James Palmer used to cover the Texans, told a story about Stroud and Tank Dell and kind of, you know, what they mean to this locker room. And it was a moment that he witnessed after the game on Sunday referring to that wide receiver room after Tank's injury. And Palmer said, CJ had a conversation with Nico, looks at Nico and says, hey, it's your room now. Take it over. Be a leader. I know you can play on the field now. I need you to play off the field and in the room. And Sean, this tells you like, not only about Stroud's leadership, but, you know, Tank's leadership. How much will they miss him? I mean, you're obviously going to miss him. Um, but the most encouraging thing about the Texans going forward, I think, is really two things, operating without Tank. Number one, just from kind of how I perceive it, it'd be one thing if you lost Tank when you did, if he was in the midst of, like, a seven-catch, 100-plus yard performance, right? And you lose him after he's compiled those numbers within that game, but you didn't. The guy played nine snaps this past Sunday, got hurt on the ninth one, wasn't targeted at all, even missed like a couple of series, maybe a, the, ser- the first series or the first two series, I can't remember. But he just wasn't a factor, at least early. Keeping in mind what the Texans were able to do in that game anyway without him being on the football field, a player in which – you know, the opposition even game planned for, but didn't really even have to adjust to since he wasn't on the field anyway. You still got all the explosives, two from Brevin Jordan. You got four of them from Nico Collins, I believe. Um, You had huge plays throughout the day. I think looking at it from that point of view, you say, okay, if we were able to do that and get this offense cooking without him in that regard against arguably one of the best secondaries they'd faced all season long in the Denver Broncos led by Patrick Sertain back there, that's encouraging. Two, the Texans have only had their full complement of their wide receiver core like three games this season. They've had to operate nine games without some combination of Tank Dell, Robert Woods, Nico Collins, Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz, and they've found a way to do it. And I think it has a large part to do with C.J. Stroud, who's operating this offense, and the architect of it in Bobby Slowick, who has shown the ability to make week-to-week adjustments, in-game adjustments even, to scheme it up with the route tree, finding really easy ways to get receivers the ball. I think they can continue to do that. And the most encouraging thing is, in terms of thinking about it, who you have to work with, could be John Mechie's opportunity to really, you know, grab the bull by the horns, if you will, and and take his game, his contributions to the next level. Yeah, are you talking about all that stuff just reminds me, Stroud's MVP case. I'm going to update it because I love talking about it because it seems like there's a little bit of disrespect from Vegas on this, or at least they might be missing something. He's number one now in NFL passing yards, number three in yards per attempt. So it's not like, Oh, he's just racking up yards on screen passes. He has had three game-winning drives, of course, five one-score wins. He's played behind six starting offensive lines. Sean, you pointed that out on Twitter. 11 different offensive linemen. Stroud's fifth on the board behind Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, Mahomes, and Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill 
having a one-of-a-kind season as a wide receiver. I like him. I like Dak Prescott. Those two guys, to me, are legitimate MVP candidates. But I don't see how Stroud's not at least third on the board. And when you look at how it sets up the rest of the season, I still think it's good money. He's like way behind those other guys on the odds markers, too. You can make arguments for your Jalen Hurts, for your Patrick Mahomes, you know, those guys. I mean, you take them out of the equation. What what are those teams, you know, without them? I mean, I, I get that argument. But who are the Texans without C.J. Stroud? And from a statistical standpoint, you just mention it and rattle it off. I mean, the guy's on pace to throw for more than 5,000 yards and have a 34-8 to 8 touchdown to interception ratio. And the completion percentage this last week, not necessarily withstanding, but, you know, prior to that, I think it had improved in each of the past three games. I mean, the guy within the system is just operating and not making mistakes uh, on a consistent basis. Look at Vegas. I guess in my mind, they're probably operating under the notion that these things just don't happen and haven't happened since, what was it, 1950-something when a rookie last won MVP and Jim Brown. They're operating in terms of you know, what history has shown us before. And I think in this era of what we're living, Patrick Mahomes, and so long as the Kansas City Chiefs are a pretty damn good football team and he's healthy and slinging it and doing what he does, and Jalen Hurts is doing what he does, no matter if the stats don't necessarily back up their personal case for it, if those two teams are rolling, they're going to get a consideration before a rookie quarterback does. Yeah, and I know what Hurts is you know, and, and Mahomes means to those two teams. But the fact is, so so does Stroud mean to the, because the Texans were the second worst team in the NFL last year. Yeah. It's 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 not hard to imagine the Texans win 11 games right now if they win four of the last five. At worst case, they won 10 games. You could say whatever about Hurts and Mahomes without what those teams are without them. But look, we know what the Texans are now with Stroud not here. And also, his numbers are better. I mean, his numbers are better than those guys. So it, it, to me, it's all on reputation. It's like Vegas is doing this on reputation, which I find interesting. The other thing, Sean, is they're, they're, they typically, don't they vote for this like two games before the end of the season? So I don't know what you do. What if, the te- yeah. what if the Texans win 10 games and he didn't have a chance to get to 12 or something like that? But those other guys are at 12. But, you know, it's a good chance if the Texans win three in a row, they could easily win five in a row. Yeah, that was, that's a good point by you. I think, I, I guess, like, you know, if you're going to solidify your Pro Bowl squads in the respective conferences, you know, with like a couple of games remaining in the regular season, I guess they do the same thing with MVP. I don't know. The fact that they do anything with still games left on the table is stupid to me. What are we doing? I've never understood that. Um, I just, that's why I, I, I don't value Pro Bowls and all that crap, just because it's incomplete. But I was just going to ask you the question, well, what if in three weeks' time, let's just, with one game remaining on the schedule, in four weeks' time, what if the Texans have retaken the lead within the division in the AFC South and Stroud is being Stroud? And now they're a potential division champ with one game remaining of the season. Then does Vegas give Stroud that sort of consideration like, hey, you are a legitimate guy? And the reason why I ask that and frame it that way is because not just because guys like Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes have kind of been there and performed like that before and we're talking Super Bowl teams and their teams are in it right now. Well, the Texans aren't in it right now other than just being in the conversation. 
They don't have a division to write home about. They don't have a, a locked-up playoff seed to write home about. They're on the outside looking in. But in four weeks' time, if the Texans are potential division champions and Stroud is you know, going to throw for more than 5,000 yards and 35 touchdowns and less than 10 interceptions and put up all these crazy historic numbers for a rookie quarterback, how could you not give him that nod? At least serious consideration, <laughs> assuming that Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts just don't go off and play stupid, atypical football for themselves. I think it's going to be a conversation. Yeah, and he could have also given the Texans their next Andre Johnson because, look, Nico Collins, Sean, if nobody's looked at the numbers, he's averaging 90 yards per game right now. Yeah. Remember Andre Johnson? He averaged 80 yards a game in his Texans career, which, you know, he didn't have bad years, if you recall. There wasn't like bad Andre Johnson years. So 80 for his career. I, t- I take out the crap numbers at the end, but that's that's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, I guess Nico's got a real shot to approach some of those, you know, all-time great franchise numbers that Andre Johnson has. What did he have? His One of his best years or his best year, almost 1,600 yards receiving, I think it is, like 1,598 or something in that neighborhood. Uh, Nico Collins, man, if, if this guy is, you know, going to be a buck 25 a game kind of a guy, you know, which it looks like he very well could be and maybe will be asked to be that guy in terms of productivity closer to that with Tank Dell being out. And Robert Woods, by the way, not even get getting a look, not even getting a look this past game against the Broncos. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. I'm here for it. Um, I'm kind of interested in the Tank effect in this regard. I want to trust, and I like we all do, in Bobby Slowick, we trust. It's a different operating procedure now. You had the game plan for Tank's absence once before, and you made it work within this game against the Broncos, but you know you're not going to have him for the next month plus. Does that mean more two tight end sets? Does that mean a larger role for John Mechie? Does that mean a larger role for Xavier Hutchinson or some other nondescript Texan that has you know, been making practice squad money to this point in the season. Who knows? But that's what I'm here for. And I, I can't wait to see how the Texans and uh, Bobby Slowick approach that. The Texans are sleeping with the enemy this week because they signed recently released jet safety Adrian Amos, who the Texans obviously would love to pick his brain a little bit. Pretty good numbers over a nine-year career. 125 starts, 659 tackles, 535 solo, 10 interceptions, 48 pass deflections. His pro football focus grade this year, 72.7. Outside of last year when he slipped to 53.4, he's been very good going from 2021 backwards, Sean, 74 7, 89 4, 76.5, 82.6, or 82.9. Sean, I mean, it appears to be kind of a steal. I mean, I know he wasn't getting a whole lot of time with the Jets, and maybe they felt like he slipped a little bit, but still, they had paid him good money to start the season. And you know, maybe there was just depth there and the Texans might have just fallen into somebody. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots used to do this all the time is find some way somehow to get some guy off the scrap heap the week before a game and pick their brain and cut them loose the following week. <laughs> you know, usually, uh, am I making that up in my mind? I feel like that used no, to be no, a pretty common sounds, occurrence. Sounds right. I'm I'm fine with it there, man. You know, one thing that I've noticed about the Texans this season and how they've operated We've heard this from various people, coaches and players. You usually hear it from D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud. They're very detail-oriented. 
this is like next level stuff if the Texans are going out and getting the guy that one not only could help you in from a depth perspective but then two literally just days before you play his former team you can get all the intel that you could possibly imagine from this guy any little next level nugget that might help you within the game that's huge that's the game the Texans are playing in many respects this season under D'Amico Ryans. And sometimes you can do it. It all depends on the people that you have in-house and whether or not it's, you're, you're going to deem it being too much for your players, which I think is a, a good talking point as well. D'Amico Ryans mentioned on Monday uh, when asked about his biggest takeaway from working underneath Robert Sala uh, when the two were together in San Francisco. And he said the most important thing that he learned from him is how to teach players and not putting too much on them, not asking too much of them. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, you've got a good mix of veteran, good mix of young, and you know your team through 12 weeks of the regular season, preseason training camp, so on and so forth. You know what these guys can handle by this point in time. And so their ability to play the game within the game, try to win the battle within the war kind of a thing, and, and doing these extra types of roster moves, gymnastics, whatever you want to call it, that, that's what you want to see from your football team, especially when they make good on it more times than not. Yeah, it wasn't Belichick doing it by himself. He had a guy named Nick Casario when he was doing that stuff over in New England. So mm -hmm. this is right out of the playbook. And this is the first year that Casario has really cared enough about wins late in the season to do something like this. So just put that into your back pocket on that. And let's look forward to the Jets. Dalton Schultz might be ready, Sean, but Kaimi Fairbairn won't. Is that right? Uh, it's not looking like, I mean, Kaimi's going to be ready. You've got an opportunity here where you can elevate Amendola one more time. He's already been elevated twice from the practice squad to the active roster. There's a couple of factors. One, Amendola kicked well this past week. So that gave you some breathing room, like not having to rush Kaimi back. So they're probably going to take full advantage. Short, Short kicks, kicks, but made kicks nonetheless. Doesn't matter, right? And the guy almost made the kick of his life, just fell inches short two weeks ago. That gave you a little breathing room there, in my opinion. You're going to keep him on the practice squad, elevate him back up to the roster ahead of this game. That keeps Kaimi one more week. That'll be done. Uh, everything that I've heard, uh, Kaimi's trending, you know, in a good direction to where not, not this game, but next week. Uh, as far as Dalton Schultz goes, he was out full dressed in flats earlier. No, he was in cleats. He was in, he was in full Full apparel today in practice, but limited. Didn't stretch with the team that I noticed. I saw him kind of over to the side tossing the ball around, but it all kind of meshes together. You're looking at so many things in the morning at practice. I think it's a great way to start the week, given that, that he's had a hamstring issue. They're not all created equal. You know, it took Juice Scruggs you know, nearly three months to kind of recover from his. Guys are different. I think it was probably a small little issue. They ramp him up this week. If he's good to go, you know, at the end of practice on Friday, strong possibility he plays, in my opinion. But let's just see how the week goes for Dalton. If he can't go, you feel as good about the situation as you possibly could, just given the contributions that Brevin Jordan had in the past game this past week, had plays of 24, 27 yards. I think he had another one for 18 yards, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. So he's shown the, you know, the propensity to contribute explosive plays in this offense. You got to feel good about that. And again, maybe I'm resting on my laurels a little bit too much, but the fact that Sloak Stroud, this offense, have had to deal with multiple guys up and down almost every single week this season bodes well for him. We should remember that the offense didn't look good in the second half last week. That was after Tank's injury. Yeah. You know, as good as Brevin Jordan was, 
you know, they, they weren't getting a whole lot done this second half outside. Of, Nico was the offense for most of that game, if you really look at it. Mm-hmm. And really, that this Jets quarterback roulette has landed back on Zach Wilson, which is kind of interesting. Rain's in the forecast, which is makes it interesting. Sean Rain might also have something to do with maybe them holding Fairbairn out with his leg, leg injuries and maybe not wanting to aggravate no. it. But do you think this is another edge-of-your-seat nail-biter for the Texans? Could be. It, it, it looks that way in many respects on paper. Uh, Texans playing, you know, eight straight ball games in games, games that have been decided uh, within the last 30 seconds, one score games. Uh, you've seen game winning drives on both sides. Stroud's had a couple of them. Uh, the Jets, they played, you know, six games this season that have been decided by six or fewer points themselves. I think two out of the last four games. Uh, for them. So they've found a way defensively because they are a respectable defense to muck the game up. And I think you have to respect that regardless of who is at quarterback. It's not Stroud versus Wilson. It's Stroud versus their defense and vice versa. People got to remember that. It, it is curious. You know, I, I don't keep too close of an eye on the gambling situation, you know, these days because it takes money to make money and I ain't got none. But uh, <laughs> I was looking at, uh, some information before, you know, you and I came on. And the line in this game started at six and a half. Buddy of mine just took the Texans at minus three and a half. I think things dropped three points in three days. Don't know why, if it's the weather, you know, the injury reports coming out for both of these teams probably has something to do with it. But it just, it scares me in that regard that both of these teams have just, for whatever reason, played in really close games. Uh, more times than not this season for the Texans particularly. So they're all connected. The Texans being without, you know, Dell for sure, possibly Schultz, maybe Jimmy Ward. You don't know who's got the shoulder after the Russell Wilson hit. I don't worry too much about that because the Texans have shown the propensity to, you know, respond with some quality depth in the secondary there. But it, it, w- it will be something to keep an eye on. Any final thoughts on this one? Anything else that you're looking out for? The secondary for the Texans. I don't care who you're going up against at quarterback. You need this group to play games together. I'd sure as heck like to see more than one game in a row of Derek Stingley, Stephen Nelson, Jalen Petrie, and Jimmy Ward. Uh, Because I I think the possibilities are endless. What you could do with that combo at at safety between Petrie and Ward are awesome. Uh, And then two, every bit of Stingley's second interception – you know, had to do with how the defense was executed on that particular play. Will Anderson almost got home again, pressured Russell Wilson on that play, probably threw it where he was going to anyway. Still, everything has an effect. Jalen Petrie, whether, you know, it was by design or not, took an aggressive downhill attack on that first move of the double move, and then Stingley played it perfect, you know, to pick that ball off. I think they all just kind of work hand in hand, and I don't care who you're playing again against, uh, if it's Zach Wilson, who, by the way, at this point, who they've had that quarterback situation botched up in New York, might just be saying, you know what, screw it. <laughs> I'm just going to let this thing fly. I'm going to do me, and we're going to see what happens. I'm just going to throw something up against the wall, and we're going to see. That sometimes is a very dangerous recipe against the team to come into your house that's going to be playing in the elements, that's going to be without one of their best wide receivers. Anything can happen, man, and it's football, a team – that you were worried about, at least all of us were, about being one of the most physical in the Broncos defensively this past week? Well, you out-physical them. Uh, a team that you're worried about this week that has a very similar defensive mindset, 
I'm not comfortable with that at all, despite you plucking one of their guys for the week and Adrian Amos getting him in-house and leaking him for intelligence. I worry about it. I'm, I'm in the scary camp this week. So uh, be keeping an eye on this game. It's probably going to be a nail-biter. Yeah, Stingley might have something he wants to prove uh, because there was a certain uh, cornerback that was picked over him. Sauce element, picked, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pick, pick, I should say picked behind him in the draft, but everybody said, you know, for a year that that was terrible. You know, obviously there's the whole uh, D'Amico versus uh, Robert Saleh coaching matchup. Those guys are friends and stuff. So really interesting. Let's move to the Astros, though, because two notable additions Wednesday. Number one, free agent Victor Caratini. It's a $2 million or two-year $12 million deal. Had a 259 batting average, 711 OPS last year. You know, that's good catcher number, Sean. In his last seven seasons, OPS is 674. He's just going to be a backup, which is great for the for the Astros, I think. What do you think? Well, he's a switch hitter, too, which I like. And he's pretty much the same at both sides of the plate, you know, in terms of what he's done for his career. So I like the versatility. I like the fact that the Astros got younger at the position. He just turned 30. I think you mentioned that. In terms of, like, some of the other advanced, like, defensive numbers, he's not a guy that's going to throw, you know, a lot of base runners out. His pop time has kind of declined. His arm strength has kind of declined. But in terms of pitch framing, this is what kind of, like, raised my eye a little bit. One, I, I guess you shouldn't be surprised, you know, working with Wilson Contreras underneath him this past year with the Brewers as he did. I guess you go back even further than that because he started his career with the Cubs. So there's that element to it. I, I, I appreciate that. I'm intrigued by him being in the 89th percentile in terms of pitch framing. I want him to come in and get right to work. Uh, I always worry about a new catcher coming in that's going to be responsible, you know, for, you know, catching a couple of times a week, presumably with an entirely new staff. But the fact that the word on the street is that he's an extremely hard, tireless worker. He's great in the film room. Uh, you know, the willingness to get after it, uh, passion with his craft. I, I like all of it. I, I still think there's a large element, Robert, that you're going to miss. There are elements in which you're going to miss that veteran leadership, handling a staff with Martin Maldonado. Hopefully he doesn't smart too much because I think they got a really smart, hardworking guy uh, in, uh, in, in, in Victor. Yeah. He's not a baby either. He's got seven years. You've got a veteran yeah. now to help out, uh, your young catcher and Yonor Diaz. And he's the only guy ever to catch back-to-back -back no hitters for two different teams. If people don't know about nugget, that, don't yeah. remember it. The second one that was thrown, uh, for a no hitter with them was Joe Musgrove ex Astros. So that's kind of a fun little side note. He's also Puerto Rican like Maldi. So that's interesting. And then the other move, Dana Brown traded a minor league pitcher to the Royals for 27-year-old reliever Dylan Coleman over three seasons. Coleman has made 96 appearances, 388 ERA, 137 whip. That's not great. But last year, it was even worse. He lost total command last year, Sean, averaging a walk per inning. He's kind of just a roll of the dice. Yeah, why not? You know, I have no problem taking <laughs> taking a gamble on a guy like that. I mean, they're not bad numbers. And what you have to appreciate most about that is this coaching staff, pitching uh, staff has, you know, stayed intact. They've done wonders, not just with Brent Strom in-house, but they've been able to revitalize and get the very best of some pitchers. So hopefully they can, you know, get to work and optimize, you know, Dylan Coleman and get the very best that he has to offer. So it's not the way that I, I know a lot of people would, would draw the off season up for the Astros, maybe specifically who they got to, you know, catch. 
uh, the number two spot, a reliever, maybe what they're thinking in terms of the outfield of the decisions. But I, I do see the wheels spinning. And you got to remember, they got a lot of talent already in-house that you're not having to worry about uh, filling those voids. So for those reasons, I feel pretty good so far about what the Astros are doing. Yeah, there was people that weren't too excited when he said, I want to give Jake Myers another shot. But what is he supposed to? He's going to say something nice about Jake Myers. I don't think that means he's just given up on other options in center field. No, no. I'm glad you mentioned that. I had a pretty good conversation earlier today uh, with somebody that took it completely in the other direction where it's like, what do you mean? They're, they're basically, he's basically anointing Jake Myers the center fielder for the Astros this year. It's, no. I think this is a message, and they probably had the conversation with Jake Myers already in that this is your opportunity, and it's probably your last good one that you're going to have here to go out and prove to us that you should be an everyday guy for this ball club in spring training. If that means he's competing with Pedro Leon and Justin Durden, if he's the best guy to, to beat those two others out, that you know, I think are probably projected to crack the club here this season, if not next, then you're not ever going to have an opportunity here. This is yours. Go get it. I love the fact that and people don't want to talk about this stuff, but I like it when a general manager in the public eyes got the back of his players and is instilling faith of his players, particularly ones that had come up and had opportunities before Dana Brown had even gotten here. And in a small sample size before that shoulder injury, I liked me some uh, Jake Myers. I liked what I was seeing from not just a defensive effort, but at the plate too. I think the hope is that he reinvigorates his bat and you couple that with what he gives you plus defensively. Uh, maybe he didn't have the greatest arm, but he didn't have a poor arm. I mean, he's still throwing at 87 miles per hour from the outfield. So maybe work on a little bit of accuracy, maybe some technique. I think we could all be pretty happy with what you get from the optimized version of Jake Myers. Yeah, and as far as the Chas McCormick fans, just keep in mind, Brantley's gone. He's going to have to play a lot of left field because Jordan Alvarez gets hurt. He's, you know, a, a kind of a, a guy that you're worried about in left field to put him out there because of the injury history. And you're going to just DH him a lot. That's just the way it's going to be. The Cougs made Willie Fritz official. You and I talked about him last week, Sean. You still feel good about the Fritzmas season, so to speak, uh, over at U of H? Yeah, I mean, I don't feel bad about it at all. He wanted a tough place and in Tulane and recruited there very well in two different conferences, you know, was the best recruiter, both CUSA and uh, the American. So I, I think, look, the resume, it speaks for itself. He's done well at various universities, various levels. He's getting an opportunity with the big boys in his hometown. I think quite similarly, but I believe more in this than I wished I would had in uh, Dana Holgerson, the recruiting pipelines, you know, from having coached before in the Big 12 Conference as Dana had with when he was with West Virginia, having been here in Houston, knowing the school, knowing people, the high school coaches, probably Willie comes across as a little bit more with the ability to get along with him, maybe has a better vibe for dealing with the high school coaches uh, in, in taking this job. I have to believe that the recruiting pipelines, the people that he knows, obviously the university feels pretty strongly about those things, which to me, most important. Look, you know, the guy's a good ball coach. I, I know he knows good ball, but can he recruit with the big dogs in the big 12? I think that had to be, one of the first questions 
that you had to have a definitive answer on in making that hire and with who he thinks can fill out his staff with. And so if how, of age how, was comfortable, then I have to be comfortable. How, how big a mess is it that uh, Hokerson left him and as far as recruiting is concerned? U of H was damn near bottom of the barrel, you know, for commits in 2024. And look, I, I think it comes down to just the attitude of, you know, their previous head coach and Dana Holgerson, who had just all but thrown his hands up like, hey, 2024 bed's been made. And our focus is on 2025 now. And that's that's a period of time in which U of H just could not uh, afford to give a guy a head coach that they once upon a time ago said, you know, Hey, we fire guys, you know, for going eight and four. Well, hell, you know, he won three games and four games twice during his tenure here. And that's just something that U of H couldn't stomach. And so recruiting is a mess for this season. I'd be interested to see what Willie Fritz can get done in the transfer portal, how that shakes out. I just wouldn't hold your breath too much. I think the real question is, is 2025 and beyond U of H is going to have to, kind of sleep in that bed with Willie, though they weren't willing to do it with Dana. The good news, Sean, is it's Houston Cougar basketball season, and those guys are good again. Yeah. Just by the way, hello, they're pretty good. Yeah, man, and, you know, for people that, uh, you know, watch us and listen to the podcast, one, thank you, uh, and tell your friends, but then two, if you haven't been to the Fertitta Center for a basketball atmosphere, that product, it is the loudest 7,000 fans you will hear. They turn seven into 14 pretty darn easy. It's that good of a product. It's entertaining, fast-paced, it's exciting. Uh, go out and watch them because, hey, man, they got that killer in them this year. It, it ain't gone nowhere. I know they graduated some dudes. Kelvin's still there, and they, they've got some holdovers. They've got some guys that are going to uh, be bringing it this year. I think it's going to be a good product. They have maybe this is, I feel like I say this every year. This is like a really good opportunity for them to really make some noise come tournament time again. LJ Cryer is a really good play. I mean, that was a great transfer for them. And, you know, you knew his, it at the time too. Yeah. His offensive game is like, I didn't get a chance to see him a ton with Baylor last year, but man, he's legit. Yep, he is. I think uh, so far, you know, small sample size, but a lot of people were really excited about uh, him coming to U of H from Baylor and small sample size again, but so far so good. I, I, I like the way that Kelvin Sampson teams play basketball. That's what it comes down to. I mean, I'm going to say it's like plug and play guys, but you have to find the right kind of guy that is going to be willing to be coached the hardest they've ever been coached in their lives. That's what Kelvin Sampson does. That's the basketball factory that he's created at U of H. Um, that's what you can hang your hat on is the type of guy that you're going to get. So you're going to get those scrappy guys that are going to be diving for loose balls and, you know, banging down low and not be afraid of contact, taking charges. And you know what? LJ Cryer, he's filling it up pretty good right now, too. So uh, be excited for that. Jets Insider on Friday. Put it in your uh thought process when you're uh, listening to us looking for notifications and of course uh, Texans post game on Sunday Sean it's a road game so you and I are pretty much coming at people right after the game I guess huh yeah absolutely we'll be there talking a little ball hopefully about a dub you're listening to Houston Sports Talk hey don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube you can always listen to us 
on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.